The name of the company is the kingdom of God. Because that's how our father feels about you. Just as that other character is how we feel about ourselves. You see, that's the good news I've got for us this morning. We can get terribly cynical when we look around at simply the human condition. And we can fall prey to thinking of ourselves just in the normal human perspective. And that makes us cynical. This has been a week for cynicism, hasn't it? I mean, just around, uh, you know, you see ministers in girly bars. You, you, you see certain rooms at the, at the White House kind of going for rent here. Uh, and it's not, I mean, the, the, the Republicans do the same thing. It's just, it's just kind of, you know, you just want to go, whatever. I mean, I, I, you're even tempted. I was tempted to say, well, maybe I should, you know, for the larger contributors of the church, offer them a free overnight stay in one of my boys' bedrooms at the apartment. <laughs> just kidding. <clears throat> never, I, you know, obviously, I don't know what anybody gives, never have, never will, but uh, not, not that you would probably want the overnight stay, but you just, you get what I'm saying. It, you just kind of get cynical. You got to go, whatever, what's the deal here? Friday, I got off I-4 to turn on to 436. Now, now, a lot of times when you do, there's a panhandler with a sign. Now, in the good old days, the panhandlers had some, had some reputable signs, you know. We'll work for food. I mean, they were old, scraggly people that, you know, probably just down on their luck, out of a job. I get off the interstate. There's a, there's a young, healthy guy, much younger than I am, looks much healthier than I do, had a sign that literally said, Why lie? I just need a beer. That was his sign. I couldn't believe it. I'm thinking, whatever. I... Can you believe that? I was just glad I was in the car and it wasn't my wife. I'd still be trying to get her out of jail, you know? Yeah, but you, just, you look around and you think, what's the deal here? And that comes from just looking around. That comes from not looking up. Look at the, uh, uh, if you have your scriptures with you, turn to 2 Peter. Uh, starting with verse 2. By the way, while you're, while you're turning there, uh, Vernon said I'd mention a little bit more about the Middle East. Um, this is a conference, and we would covet your prayers. We, this is not going to be the most popular conference in the Middle East. All the Christian leaders of the Middle East are gathering for a conference at Cyprus, and we've been invited to that. And, and we are building up some very uh, significant relationships with uh, Christian leaders in the Middle East. And so... Um, we would covet your prayers for that. Next Sunday, I'll be preaching at the largest evangelical church in the Middle East. It is a Presbyterian church in Cairo, and it is literally a church that's been built by hollowing out. The, the, the old Coptic Christians did this, hollowed out the side of a mountain. And so the church is literally a cave, seats 10,000 people. So, um, and the guy that's preaching here is going to be a step up from me. He is a, he is, John Tolson is the founder of uh, Gathering of Men and is a wonderful speaker, as you can probably tell by the sermon title he's got in the, uh, in the thing. So, but I'll tell you about this when we get back. Um, now, listen to this. This is, this is so good that it takes a long time to fathom it. That's why I'm going to tell you this on several occasions. Look at what it says. Grace and peace, starting with verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you 
in the knowledge of God and of, the, of Jesus our Lord. Let me put that a little bit differently, that it may make a little bit more accurate sense to you. Grace and peace, the understanding of those two will be multiplied as you have accurate knowledge of God and of, the, of Jesus our Lord. That is, as you understand who they are, then their grace and peace is going to be multiplied in your understanding. Now, look at what it takes to do this. Look at the next verse. Seeing that, to us, everything... I'm sorry. Seeing that His divine nature has granted to us. His divine... I'm sorry, I still can't read it. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to get the right reference on that. It comes from outside. It doesn't come from inside. One of the things, and if you don't get anything else today, get this. The reception of God's holiness is no more our effort than the reception of our salvation. There is a two-pronged effect of God offering new life to us in Jesus Christ. The first prong is justification, what, what the theological term for, for salvation. And that comes when we realize, hey, we can never be good enough to be in heaven. We can't do anything to forgive our own sins. And God, being just, needs to even the books. And so Jesus Christ died on the cross and became our sin so that we could have His righteousness. And God could impute His righteousness to us, or He could, he could um, give it over to our account and see us as if we were righteous. That's what impute means. And that's called justification. And when you say, God, I can't do it. I, I want to accept the gift of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for me on, on the cross. Then we realize we're saved by grace. The Bible says, for we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of works lest any man should boast. There's nothing we do to save ourselves or to deserve that salvation. That's justification. Sanctification is the process of holiness. And here's where the process breaks down. Most of us will admit we need God and His total provision to be saved, but then when it comes to being holy, that's our job. That's our effort. we got to behave better. No, no. Wait, you think it was tough getting saved. Think how tough it is being holy. Listen, God has made just as pronounced gift to us. That's what this passage is about. He has seen that we have everything we need for godliness. When Christ dwells in you, He is God's provision. He is God's holiness. It's not that you need to work for it. I heard somebody say this this week. Boy, you know, being holy is really tough. Being good is really tough. Well, I got two things for you. No, it's realizing what your nature really is and acting on that nature. It's just that simple. And the second thing is, after you get out of the first realm of carnality, there's, a, there's kind of a circle of, of old habits that we got to break through. After you get through those old habits, man, you're going to be... It, it's exhilarating. It is exhilarating. So, so it, there's a change in habits that may be uncomfortable. But holiness isn't tough because it's not up to us. Holiness has been imparted to us by God. And what we need is the right reference. Because holiness isn't up to us. 
It's up to receiving what God has given us. And that takes listening beyond ourselves. You know, there are really two ways that people think that we receive truth. One is, we talk amongst ourselves and we see what we can come up with. That it's only something within the realm of mankind's reality. This is a very ancient argument. As a matter of fact, if you have read uh, Plato's Republic, you will, you will hear this from the character uh, Glaucon, who argued with uh, uh, Socrates. There was an interchange, a constant interchange between Glaucon and Socrates. And Glaucon's argument was, you know, all we know is what we can share inside the cave. There isn't anything else outside the cave, it's just us. You can see that philosophy develop throughout the ages into, into political philosophies. Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan was about that philosophy. We can't hope for any transcendent uh, uh, cure to our condition. All we can hope for is what people can do. And we need security and peace so much, the only hope we have is to hand over all of our authority to a supreme human government. The Leviathan really was the first layer of the foundation of, of the phenomena of Nazism because people couldn't hope from, for, for any transcendent help. They had to, they had to put, hand over all of their freedom to a human government. Well, there is another uh, realm of thought among people, among believers, and that, and that is just the opposite. No, we've got to listen outside the cave. There's something that comes beyond. Now, now some of you are, are familiar with this kind of listening. Some of you know people who hear things you can't hear. A little common example. Some of you guys remember when you had very young children, babies, and, and, and your wife could hear the children when you couldn't. I mean, it wasn't that your hearing was bad. I remember sitting on a couch with Becky. My hearing, there was nothing wrong with my hearing. As a matter of fact, I like silence, which one of the reasons that we didn't get pets early on. They're just way too noisy. We got fish, literally got fish, so that they wouldn't be noisy. And I got rid of the fish because they were too noisy. They kept coming to the gulping at the service. I go, what is that, you know? So it's not that I was hard of hearing. But we would literally be sitting on the couch, and Becky would turn to me and say, did you hear that? What? I think Isaac's getting his asthma thing back again. I couldn't hear a thing. I would go up the steps into his room, and I could only slightly hear a wheeze. But Becky could hear it way downstairs all across the house. Why? She had that mother's ear. She could hear outside our little cave there. We, I, I, I remember just laying in bed, dead to the world. Beck would sit straight up in bed. Did you hear that? <laughs> Why? Why? Oh, something's wrong with the boys. You know? There was just this sense. She could hear outside the cave. It's the same thing that happened with Samuel. And Eli, remember that? Remember when Samuel, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 3, he, had, he didn't know the Lord yet. He hadn't heard from the Lord, hadn't had a vision of the Lord. And he was sleeping one night, and he heard his name called. And Samuel gets up, and what's he do? He goes over to Eli and says, what do you want? Now, why did he do that? Because he'd never heard outside the cave before. He just figured it had to be inside the cave, and Eli was there, you know? And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Goes back. That happened three times. Finally, Eli who had heard outside the cave, finally figured out, hey, listen, he said, go back, lay down. If, he, if you hear it again, say this, here I am, Lord, your servant is listening. 
How could he give him that counsel? Because Eli had trained his ears to hear outside the cave. We got to do the same thing. We got to have the right reference. The right reference is not inside the cave. The right reference is outside the cave. And so when it says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. What else do you need to do to be godly? What else do you need to, to have to be godly? The answer biblically is nothing. All you have to do is react to what you have now. To act on who you are now. You see, God sees something in us that we, we just simply don't see. Because we're still in this, this whole thing of estimating ourselves by who we think we are, what we think our abilities are, and what everybody else has said our abilities are. This says that He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. You know what that means? That means He has called us to holiness by giving us His glory and excellence. His glory and excellence resides in every one of you that has Jesus Christ living in your heart. It's already there. And that's why God can see us like this boss saw this applicant. The applicant felt totally inadequate, totally uh, inefficient. But what Scripture say? Our sufficiency is not in ourselves, but it's in the Spirit. And so when God gives us Himself, then we have that sufficiency. That's why we go through this, this training. We're not just trying to act better. We're trying to train every person that comes here for ministry. Now, how many of you feel like you're really qualified for ministry? Probably none of you, the 2% that are in a named ministry right now, probably feel totally inadequate for that. Why? Because we concentrate more on what we can't do or what we don't think we can do than who God is in us, than who God sees us as. You see, God sees us in our new state. I was driving around uh, South Carolina this week. I, I, I took a few days just to pray and fast and, and get a vision for Northland in the future. And I drove past this one church. I mean, this place that I was at is, is kind of out in the sticks. And a lot of little country churches lined the road. And I, and I drove past this one church. And the, and the, and the title, you guys have seen this. The, the sign out front says, The New First Baptist Church. Now I'm thinking to myself, The New First Baptist Church. One or two things has happened there. Either they had rivals, rival, a, a rival uh, uh, competition for who got the First Baptist Church and the newer group won it, and so they were the new First Baptist Church, or somebody got a hold of the old First Baptist Church, and the Holy Spirit had His way, and they felt like they were the new First Baptist Church. They weren't just First Baptist Church anymore. They were different people. I want to tell you, God's gotten a hold of you. God's got, and you're not the old person anymore. You're the new person now. And God bless you if you've ever had somebody in your life, if He's ever graced you with anybody who just thought you were the berries. You know, some, some people have been fortunate enough to have those people in their lives. 
Many of you had grandparents like that. Some of you have had parents like that. Some of you have had teachers or coaches like that who just thought you were the stuff. You knew all along you were a boogerhead. But, and, and, and they, and they may have kind of known it, but that, that wasn't who you really were to them. No. You were the stuff. Well, I want to tell you that when Jesus Christ lives in your heart, you're the stuff. And what we need to do is not try to work our way up to holiness so, so that we can put out more effort and make fewer mistakes. We just need to realize the power that is within us, the provision that, it was, that is within us for holiness, and start living according to that power. Look at what else it says. It says, For by these he has granted. Now, uh, there's that, that has granted phrase a second time. Uh, the, the Greek word is deteretai, and it means has bestowed or has endowed. This is not the usual Greek word for given. This, mean, this is has bestowed. And, and, and Mark 15.45 uses it for when Herod gave the body of Jesus after the crucifixion to Joseph of Arimathea. Dederetai, bestowed the body of Christ. That's exactly what God does in this communion. You know, we usually take communion and we're just so grateful for the blood because we can remember that our sins are forgiven. How many of you remember every time you take communion that you are taking the body of Christ into you? And the body of Christ is His nature. And that has been bestowed. It, it has been um, 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 given to you in such a way that it's, it's, it's like um, an, a, a huge inheritance that is active and powerful. The word power in here is, is dunamis, and, it, and we get the word dynamite from it. That's living in you right now. And so many of us feel so powerless, it, which, is, which is just so ironic because we have such power in Christ. Look at what else it says. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. You say, oh, well, it's only a promise. No. Remember, when God says something, it is. It has a reality. You might see it in its fullness later on, but as soon as he speaks it, it comes into being. So when God makes a promise, there is already a reality in your life that you can act off of. It is existence. It is, it is the new reality that is in you. Look what it says. In order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. This is mind-boggling. I'm going to t- tell you about that in just a minute. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The g- Greek word for this is moral decay. I'll give you something really gross in just a minute with which to remember that so that it'll kind of stick out in your mind. But I want to tell you two things here. First of all, God has done the most difficult thing in the world in that He has given us a new nature. Now, I know all the flap right now is about cloning, isn't it? I mean, I mean, with, how many times can you watch this poor sheep on the TV? I mean, I can't believe it. They just keep this, ca- this camera on the sheet room. You know, that's, that's all you see. 
Well, I thought one of the elders' insight was, uh, was uh, uh, important here. He said, isn't it curious that, that uh, um, the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray, and the first mammal they clone is a sheep. But here we are. We're at the stage of cloning now, and everybody's fascinated with this. Everybody's afraid of this. But I want to tell you, that's simply a biological replication. And it is, it is a scientific achievement. But what they can't possibly do is clone the, if they ever use this on people. They're going to be rudely surprised because you can clone a body, but you can't clone a nature. You see, we might want to clone, uh, the scientific community, uh, knowing how they think, might want to clone a Gandhi. Uh, because Gandhi was a peaceful man. But they might clone Gandhi's body and they might get a little brown Hitler. Because you can clone a body, you can't clone a nature. You see? It's okay, by the way. My Indian friends tell me it's okay to use little brown because that's okay. I know it's not politically correct, but I got permission. <laughs> but they might get a little brown Hitler. Because, because you can clone the DNA, but you can't clone the nature. You can't clone the character. Do you know what this book says? This book says that his divine nature has come alive in us so that we share his nature. In other words, God is cloning his nature in us. That is absolutely mind-boggling. And it also says that that will have such an impact that we will begin to come out of the moral decay that is already in us. That is, I know a lot of people say, well, okay, I can, I can be good from here on, and God, but there's all this rotten stuff I've ever done that just keeps hanging on. And I'll always have that on me. I know I've been forgiven, but I'll always have that stuff hanging on me. Let me give you an absolutely gross picture. As a matter of fact, if you're not a middle school age boy, you may not want to listen to this. Boys love this kind of stuff. And I'm married to a biology teacher, so she kind of likes it too. I love to read all kinds of scientific development, all, all the world uh, uh, developments in whatever, whatever area. And so I was reading a, a, an article in a London newspaper about a month ago about how medicine is beginning to reuse leeches and maggots. Now you may want to clone. Uh, uh, did you eat yet? You're not going to want to eat after you hear this. But it's, it's let me. T- I'll, I'll leave the leeches alone. Just for just you know that doesn't apply to this sermon. But the maggots do. It's fascinating stuff. You see, maggots have been used for years. In the Civil War, they used what they called surgical maggots. Because the greatest thing about a maggot is that they will eat only dead or decaying flesh. They don't eat uh, healthy flesh. And so for all of these cases of gangrene and so on and so forth, they literally use maggots. Well, it seems as how recently there people have been developing some resistance uh, um, to antibiotics. And so in some limited fashions... Some hospitals are beginning to use, for some kinds of wounds, they can buy, you can buy for $200, 75 sterile maggots. They'll send them to you, a little box. And they put it on this wound that has dead 
flesh, decaying, dead or decaying flesh. And they, and they put it on the wound and, and they build a little maggot cage so they don't escape, you know. And they just leave it on there for three days. Patients say, well, that tickles a little bit. And then they just pick them out, you know. And the dead flesh is gone. Now you will never forget, will you, that God can even take what is decayed, what is dead in our life, and take it away, consume it, get it out of there. So complete is the holiness of His nature. Now, this is important. This is the picture I want to leave you. It is not... If I could, if I could do a spectrum of Christianity right here, and how Christians usually think about holiness, I could go from this end of the spectrum where all of the Christians who have ever laid guilt on you would be down at this end. You know, if you do enough... If you do this, if you, I, I call them the do-better Baptists. Now, it's not just a Baptist, because Methodists do this, and Lutherans, and all, but, but, but this, if you just knock on enough doors, if you just witness to enough people, if you just, you, then you're going to be holy. Down on this end, there are the I speak for God charismatics. These people scare me a little bit. Personally, when somebody says I speak for God, I just get a little bit alarmed. These are, I, I really do. I, I, you know, because God has spoken for himself. It's called the word. And so th it's all here in black and white. But when people say, you know, when I say something, God has to do it. Because, I, I'm, you know, the name it and claim it thing, you know, it just scares me. Now, on this spectrum, where do you think theological accuracy would be? You think I'm going back to the center, don't you? Watch this. Do you know what the charismatics have right? The charismatics have this right. The nature of God is in us. God lives in us. It is His power alive in us. And it scares me way more to have human beings saying that holiness is about human effort than it does to pe for people to say the power of God is alive in me. This is the theological accuracy. The power of God is alive in you. And if you respond to that as your basic reality, you will see His holiness, not your holiness. And there is a quantum difference there. Pray with me. God, thank you that you have provided everything so that all of the glory and honor go to you. Thank you that you have given us, out of your divine power, your nature so that as we respond to what is more real than our sin, what is more everlasting than our corruption, that there is a power whereby that corruption can drop off, that sin can become impotent, and only your power can be seen. Father, help us to have our focus only on you, and help Folks, when they see us, not to see our goodness, but to see your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.